it just to reach you, Julia. Julia, Julia. Ocean child calls me, so I sing the song of love. Our next guest is one of the world's foremost culinary commentators. Julia Child's public TV programs, her appearances on Good Morning America, and her books have entertained and educated a generation of Americans in the kitchen. She's actively involved with the American Institute of Wine and Food, a nonprofit educational organization designed to advance the understanding of food and wine. And it's a great pleasure to have you on Seattle Afternoon. Well, I'm delighted to be here. I've been here many times, and I always love it. Um, I wanted to ask you about the current trend towards healthier foods. There's probably no one who would argue uh, for unhealthy foods, but has the the concern about what we put in ourselves created a fear of food? Very definitely, and as, as many people say, there are no good and bad foods. They're just good and bad ways of using them. So I think the um, I think a lot of the problem is the media in they will get hold of something like a scare tactic, like Alar apples, and that was really a, a dreadful scam because it came out, as you remember, at about mm-hmm. seven o'clock in the evening on a Sunday, and the newspapers were caught by their short hairs. There was nothing they could do except sixty people, sixty million people had heard it, so they had to publish it mm-hmm. the next morning with with no investigation, and it just scared everybody. Well, and it you- appears that. You would have to eat 500 pounds of apples at one sitting to have any effect. Mm-hmm. And if you ate 500 pounds of broccoli, broccoli would probably be worse. And it you ruined 500 the pounds apple. of anything, you'd probably be. <laughs> well, I know it ruined the apple industry. And I know in, back in New England, there's some of the apples like Macintoshes that unless they rescind the ban mm-hmm. or the public fear, they'll never be able to grow again. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many new cookbooks out that that aim towards um, natural or healthy uh, ingredients that, that go that go into those particular recipes. Do you think that I, that's I a think the word healthy and the word light are, are, are really kind of meaningless. As I said, there are no bad or good foods. Mm-hmm. They're just healthy and unhealthy ways of using them. I mean, they I think they try to make us believe that steak is unhealthy. Steak, as a matter of fact, eaten in a moderate quantity, not a great big flap of it, is tremendously nutritious. It has iron and vitamins and proteins. and It's tremendously healthy food, but it has to be eaten in a small quantity. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a reaction to maybe eating steak three nights a week or four nights a week. I don't know what it's a reaction yeah. to. I don't know why people have taken it out on food, that they're, they're afraid of something, and maybe, and of course, I think it is very serious what's happening to the air pollution and 
to the greenhouse effect and that hole up in the stratosphere or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And people are afraid of that, and they don't know what to do about it, so maybe they take it out on food. And then that's being fed by a lot of misinformation, like that cholesterol is the bad thing when actually it is on a scale of 10 of smoking and high blood pressure are 10 in danger. Mm -hmm. Cholesterol is 2. So why don't they talk about some of the very dangerous things such as diabetes, overweight, lake, lack of exercise, high tension? Because mm-hmm. they're much more dangerous than cholesterol, which they really don't know a great deal. Do you have anything good to say for the, the so-called healthy eating movement? Has it influenced the way that you think about cooking? I don't like to cause not call it healthy eating. Okay. I'd rather call well, it good nutrition. All right. I would rather <laughs> call it that. Well, I think it has had an effect. Cause, well, something's had an effect because people are living 15 years more than they did. And I think being aware of pesticides and chemicals is, is very useful indeed, but we have to know exactly what we're talking about and what is dangerous and what isn't because it's very dangerous to eat moldy food, for instance, and spoiled food. And so... And, and, and un- I think you need, certainly need a certain amount of preservatives, but which are good and what is correct to do. Mm-hmm. And, and rather than just listening to television ads, we have lots of facts available, like what to eat, the four food groups, and moderation, and so forth. I think there was a restaurant in, uh, in London that, uh, to counteract the various scares about foods, had a special banquet. Uh, I think they called it a dangerous banquet, and it featured foods for which there had been scares about uh, in recent months. So they had uh, eggs, and there was a scare about eggs and chicken because mm-hmm. there had been a scare about chicken mm-hmm. to dramatize the fact that uh, there wasn't all that much problem, all that many problems. But there is, because that's salmonella, and there is mm-hmm. something you have to be careful about. Mm-hmm. I, I was at the food symposium. We were talking about people's fear of microwaves and also of irradiation. But evidently, if you irradiate food, nothing is left of the radiation after it's passed through. But we could probably have a cure for salmonella by irradiating things. There are a lot of things that are dangerous we probably could use radiation for. But people are afraid of it no matter what you say. Mm -hmm. And and it's like fluoride. The states that have fluoride have, have practically eliminated tooth decay. But then there's some nutty people who consider that it's poison and they have prevented states from having fluoridated water and then they have a, people have a lot of cavities. It's so hard sometimes for people to sort out the claims and counterclaims, doctors on this side, doctors on that side. Well, that's one thing that I hope we're going to be able to help with the American Institute of Wine and Food of trying to sort out what's true and what isn't true and have a source that you can come to and believe because we have to have some some source because advertisements are naturally very anxious to sell their products and it, facts really make no difference to them at mm. all. So kind of a consumer reports of food? Exactly. Well, consumer reports is extremely useful too. Right. So you would take a look at specific claim uh, charges being made about apples, for example, mm-hmm. and issue or issue mm-hmm. your own opinion on what, what was well, put out there? Well, it wouldn't be just our own opinion. Mm-hmm. We would get really reliable people 
to talk about, and we would try to get both sides of a question and then come up with a, a sensible, realistic answer. Well, with your name behind it, I'm sure there's some credibility Well, I'm right not there. a scientist. I'm just interesting in, interested in having the facts. What other kind of work does the Institute do? Well, it's composed of professionals in the wine and the food industry and also of people who are passionately interested consumers. And we have a very fine quarterly journal of gastronomy of really good writing on on food and wine, and we have a monthly newsletter, and we have conferences on gastronomy. We're having one, one really just on nutrition, which is sponsored, interestingly enough, by the dairy industry, which will be very interesting. I think they're so much concerned with it. And then we're having another one in January in Los Angeles on the um, America wine in American life. Mm-hmm. Because this is very much of a problem because we have the neo-prohibitionists who want to link wine with hard liquor and drunkenness. But wine, we consider wine is part of food and food is part of wine. In moderation. Everything in moderation. Even moderation? And even moderation. I think (laughs) that's very true. But then I think that anyone who overindulges on anything should be severely treated, not mm-hmm. just given a pat on the wrist, but certainly with overindulgence in any kind of alcohol and driving should be really severely punished. The way they do, say, in Norway, they just take your license away, mm-hmm. and that's the end of you. Julia Child is our guest today on Seattle Afternoon. One of the things that we've mused about when we talk about food on the program uh, over the last year is what the the, the coming cuisine of the 90s will be. We've seen uh, many Thai restaurants begin in, in Seattle over the mm-hmm. last few years. Um, what do you think will be the, the new sort of international food that will be coming to our shores and setting up shop and restaurants near us? Well, it's very hard to say, and that's a very kind of a media question, <laughs> like what's going to happen in the 90s. Sorry, I'm a media uh, guy. Well, I, that's I, all right. <laughs> but I think the Asian influence is, is a fascinating one, and so many of the chefs now are putting little touches touches of Asian spices and methods into their cooking. I think it's going to enrich us. I think one reason our cuisine is so interesting is that it comes from everywhere, particularly now that we have so many other influences. Mexican has certainly come in a lot, and then Chinese. Chinese doesn't, that seems to have fallen behind Thai and Vietnamese, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I hope it'll come back because I think it's a marvelous cuisine. I always wonder about cuisine I eat from far parts of the world that I've never been to that bills itself as authentic, whether or not uh, if I went to that to India, it would taste like the Indian food I get in an Indian restaurant, for example. Well, we were, during World War II, we were with the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, and we're two years in China, and that food was so good. We were in Kunming, and that was a refugee city, so we got cuisines from all over China. And it's awfully hard. I particularly like the northern Chinese or the Peking style. Mm-hmm. But it's awfully hard to find that same thing in a Chinese restaurant. I think if you go with a Chinese, it would help. But I think the Chinese are, I've always found them rather difficult to communicate because they know what you want, mm-hmm. whether you want it or not. <laughs> they know that you're, so they're not going to give you the kind of real, really native cuisine with that wonderful fermented 
bean curd, which has that, that cheesy, particularly wonderful taste. So I think you have to go with a real Chinese. Mm-hmm. Julia Child is our guest. Good afternoon. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. Well, I had um, two very small questions to, uh, to ask John. First is, I wonder if uh, Julia Child had tried uh, beefalo as a substitute for beef. It's got a... No, I, I haven't. I've heard about it, but I did. I was in... Denver the other day, and I tried buffalo, and it was delis- delicious, and evidently buffalo herds are being raised commercially, but they're not enough to get all over the country, but this was very rare and very tender, and I had prime rib buffalo. It was very, huh. very good. And is beefalo is a, a hybrid of beef and buffalo? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I understand that, that, that they don't, they're really not doing much with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just going to use buffalo. Uh, you can get it in Seattle. You can. Mm-hmm. That's Seattle for you. You can get anything. But, uh, the other question is, I wonder, do you still buy uh, meat at uh, Kirkland Street Market in Cambridge? Still at, at the Savonor Supermarket. Yeah. I certainly do. They have wonderful meat. They still do. I'm glad to hear that. Good. Thank you for calling. This is Seattle Afternoon. Hello, you're on the air. Hi. I have um, a comment and a question. You were talking about the fear of food. I think a lot of people have a, a fear of food because they've heard all the reports that U.S. diets are high in fat, and fat is responsible, they think, for um, cancer and heart disease. So I think that's why a lot of people have a, a fear of food more than a fear of specific ingredients. But I know in Seattle especially, some of the restaurants now are working to have uh, menu items that meet the U.S. dietary goals and yet are still gourmet. Does Julia Childs see more of this happening, where you have restaurants and chefs working with people with uh, a nutritional background to try to make food uh, that's lower fat and still very good tasting? I, th- I think a lot of the restaurants are doing that, but then a lot of the restaurant chefs now are fearful themselves because I've been traveling around for the AIWF and and I've run into big dinners where there's no sauce on anything and it it's I don't go to a banquet just to eat that kind of food where you kind of a kind of a salad made out of nuts and berries and I don't know what and no dressing on it at all and then you'll have a piece of fish or chicken that has nothing on it and and, well, and steamed vegetables with nothing on them. And I, th- I think that's very discouraging because the chefs are afraid because people say, oh, butter, no, we can't have any butter. But you're supposed to have 30% of your calories are supposed to be fat oil, th- of which one-third of those can be saturated fat. And you have to have that or you won't be growing your hair properly, you won't be processing your vitamins properly. And for the healthy person, that's the amount you're supposed to have. Well, that's And everybody knows, if they've read the papers at all, that we're not supposed to overindulge on fat. Mm-hmm. So not, I think a lot of restaurants are doing that, but if they do it sensibly, if the public is sensible and doesn't blanch every time they see a piece of butter, we may get along well. Otherwise, I'd rather eat at home. Well, I think that a lot of the problem is if you have a, a meal with no sauce, is a, a chef that has uh, 
either no imagination or no uh, nutritional knowledge because you can make wonderful sauces that aren't high in fat. Of course you can, and anyone who's a good cook and knows how to cook can do it perfectly well. Yes. Reductions and then say just a teaspoon of butter or something like that and to smooth it out and give it a nice taste. Do you, do you see that trend, though? I mean, oh, I think, I th well, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it very sensibly done so far. It's mostly been fear mm -hmm. and, then, and then nothing. Right. And that's right. bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely bad. I'm just, I know there are restaurants in Seattle, though, that are working with... with well, I uh, hope they're going to do it sensibly. Oh, they have. And they're well, keeping the sauces and just reducing the the amount of salt and the amount mm -hmm. of fat, but still keeping mm -hmm. the sauce. But then also, this fear of salt also, I think a lot of that has to do with people who eat processed food. If you do your own food, you use salt normally, but it's terrible. I just had a piece of fish the other day that was just cooked in plain water, and it was awful. Then you had to put a lot of salt on it to make it taste proper, and that's bad. If these are people who are uninformed and they're going to ruin gastronomy for this country for years to come if they keep up that way. 